0: Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves.
1: Wavoka was a Paiute Indian born in 1858 in Mason Valley, Nevada. His father was a medicine man, and Wovoka gained fame as a young man for his ability to see visions himself. When the Paiutes were forced to give up their traditional ways, he moved to work on the farm of a man named David Wilson and learned about Christianity there. In the mid-1880s, Wovoka fell into trance and collapsed unconscious. When he woke up, he said he'd been to heaven and spoken with God and taught his people a new dance. The Paiute practiced the dance for a while, but, but it didn't really catch on. Then on New Year's Day, 1889, the day of an eclipse, while sick in his cabin, Wovoka died as the sun died. He saw God and people long dead return to their youth and living happily. Wovoka returned from the dead with the ability to control the weather, and he had learned another new dance. This time, the ghost dance, which promised to give the dancers visions of their dead relatives, This dance would spread across the country and spark a new religion among America's native people. This was not the first ghost dance initiated among the Paiute. Twenty years earlier, a holy man named Wadzibwab taught new prayers, songs, and a dance to his people at the Walker River Reservation in Nevada to bring back the dead and restore the old way of life. Wovoka's father had been one of Wadziwab's followers during this 1870 ghost dance. The idea of a mass return of the dead was new in 1870 and repeated by Wovoka in 1890, but there had been a long tradition of shamans who were able to bring individual people back from the dead and Wovoka was the last of the holy men capable of this feat. Do not tell the white people about this. Jesus is now upon the earth. He appears like a cloud. The dead are all alive again. I do not know when they will be here, maybe this fall or in the spring. When the time comes, there will be no more sickness and everyone will be young again. Do not refuse to work for the whites and do not make any trouble with them until you leave them. When the earth shakes, do not be afraid. It will not hurt you. I want you to dance every six weeks. Make a feast at the dance, and have food that everybody may eat. Then bathe in the water. That is all. You will receive good words again from me sometime. Do not tell lies. Wavoka predicted a great earthquake that only the Indians would survive, after which the Indians and their revived ancestors would live forever in a world without sickness or misery. This earthquake, he said, would arrive in spring of 1891. Although Wovoka predicted an end to white oppression, this was not a warlike doctrine. God would solve the Indians' problems, and they need not take up arms against the whites to achieve this apocalypse. In order to survive the earthquake unharmed, the Indians were told to dance, to dance for four nights, ending on the morning of the fifth night, and then bathe themselves in a river. They should do this every six weeks. The dancer should wear a feather to lift him or her up when the earth shook and red, uh, red paint to protect against illness until that apocalypse should occur. My name is Rob C. Thompson, I am the Supreme Hierophant of the Secret Order of Alchemical Actors. We're working with a, a small crew today, a crew of one, James Kaplan, our captain of the table. James?
0: Hello, everyone. Hi, How are yeah. things? Yeah,
1: you are James. <laughs> Yeah, I figured, uh, you know, we usually have a rowdier bunch, but this is a serious topic. We're talking uh, genocide of America's native people, the original sin of uh, the founding of America here. Uh, so I figured we'd get,
0: get a little serious with James. If, if James... James can get serious. Uh, I've been serious quite a couple times before, and uh, <laughs> yes. I, I, I'm okay at it, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so some serious things. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll try and, and relax a bit if we can. We, we don't want it to be all, all, uh, all a funeral here, but, uh, and, and after all, we're talking about the genocide of native people. We're in the 1870s and 1880s. This has been going on for c- centuries at this point. I think if I'm doing my math correctly, you can correct me if I'm wrong there, James.
0: No, absolutely. Um, Yeah. This is the, this is the point where we're seeing a lot of families move out and like into the lands that like away from the cities. Right. The end of the oh the
1: pioneers, yeah yeah, yeah we're sort of yeah I mean Going the pioneer on. times are still very well underway yeah. Um, Native peoples have been moved off the eastern uh, east coast for quite a while at this point. Andrew Jackson did a lot of that in the eighteen twenties, where he was part of that anyway. Um, but this is sort of like the end of that story of the genocide. The ghost dances is almost like a cap on on that series of events. Uh, and before we pledge it out and get into this, I, I do want to note, and this is something we should bear in mind throughout the episode, when we talk about genocide and we talk about this being the sort of end of it, I don't mean to suggest that there are no Native people. There absolutely are uh, nations of Native people throughout the United States right now uh, who deserve our support uh, in every way we possibly can. Uh, it, at least, well, if, if I don't want to say if only, but or at least in large part, I think, because our history shapes our present. And we have to bear in mind that uh, these events that we're going to be talking about today are the reason Native people are marginalized uh, and oppressed in our culture. Um, so all those all, all things to think about as, as we get into this. We, the members of the the secret order of alchemical actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. All right, James, do you know how to open up the plugs? Plug, plug, plug. Very nice. First, our sources today, we have Gregory Smokes' Ghost Dances, uh and Identity, Ronnie Henrik Anderson's Lakota Dance of 1890, and S.E. Wilmer's Theater, Society, and The Nation. Uh, We want to thank, uh, second uh, in the plugs, we want to thank Ian McAlpin, one of our scholars behind the scenes. We have a team of scholars behind the scenes who uh, consult with us. Uh, Yeah, Ian's a regular listener uh, and uh, has some expertise in Native American history and culture actually pursuing a master's degree in library science and information systems. Uh, So thanks again, Ian. And uh, last but not least, please subscribe, or I guess follow us, and uh, review. Drop drop us a review if you're enjoying what you've been listening to so far. Okay, close them up. Plug, plug, plug. The Lakota chiefs gathered at the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota, and each spoke their piece about whether or not to send a delegation west to Nevada to meet the Messiah. So we're setting the scene here. Uh, imagine ourselves on on that, that Pine Ridge Reservation among the chiefs of the Lakota. And this this figure that I was talking about at this top of the episode, Wavoka, the Messiah, has emerged in, in the West. So uh, the Lakota are trying to make up their minds. Should we go and meet this person, see what they have to say? What they decided was a delegation would go out in late summer or fall of 1889 under the leadership of Good Thunder, the name of one of the chiefs there. In 1890, the official delegation returned with the opinion that the Messiah had, in fact, arrived. So they were very impressed by Wovoka. Short Bull, who had fought with Sitting Bull in the War of 1876 and also Kicking Bear, were among this delegation and would go on to lead the ghost dance religion among the Lakota. They both opposed the reforms visited on the Lakota by the U.S. government after Sitting Bull's defeat. Uh, so uh, politics in, in here is, I guess, what I'm saying. You following this, James?
0: Yeah, yeah. So like they, they, they really didn't, they were kind of pushed into the Messiah, you know, like from the other side, you know, like that, well, we, we, we don't want to, we don't want to stay here. We want to move across. So so like as a a last resort almost, you mean? Yeah, that's what I'm getting from it. Is that, is that what you're getting from it?
1: Stuck between a rock and a hard place. I I do think they were impressed by Wavoka. And uh, I think you're right. I mean, they're in dire straits um, because of the way they've been treated by the government, the United States government. So, I think they're looking for anything hopeful, right? Right. Smoke came from heaven to the spot where the Messiah was to appear. When the smoke cleared, a man stood there, roughly 40 years old, with the sign of the crucifixion on his body.
0: We don't hear exactly what that means. Right. I, couldn't, I imagine it's not like the Christian crucifixion.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, because Wovoka is a blend of native tradition and Christianity, yeah, there's a bit of that. Uh, And in fact, as Messiah, he's meant to be a kind of second coming. So Wovoka says that since the whites had once crucified him, he had come to help the Indians right the wrongs that the whites had exacted against them. So Jesus is identifying with the uh, native people here, Jesus as Wovoka, you see. So they're sort of the same person. Wovoka is the second coming. Well, Volka said that he could kill the whites simply by extending his arm and that the Indians should take up farming and go to school.
0: So some practical suggestions for living their lives. Wow, that's a, that's an odd thing to follow up. I can kill them with my arm. You should farm.
1: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that was the same sentence. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could have been separate thoughts, separate conversations. Uh, but those are some of the claims. So the uh, Cheyennes, the Paiute, the Shoshone, and the Lakota all gathered on a hill uh, to greet the Messiah. Let's hear a bit from Short Bull on that.
2: We put on the red earth paint, and then, one behind the other, we climbed the hill. We climbed to the top, and in the middle, there was a huge flat rock, and around it was a grove of pine trees, and everything was visible in all directions. And then, they sat in a circle, and one of the Paiutes sat in the middle where we were sitting and shouted something. After a while, A white man came and stood in the middle of them, but not one of us looked steadily at him. He stood with his head bowed, and all at once, surprisingly, he made a speech in the Lakota language."
1: Wovoka told them that he would teach them a dance, by means of which they would see their long-dead relatives. He said they should go to the sweat lodge and not eat the white man's food or wear metal and dance with eyes closed, thinking of a lost relative. Um, so this is the first instance of, you know, not eating the white man's food. Well, Volca's really a champion. Uh, it, there is this syncretic blend with Christianity, which is, of course, um, a kind of white religion in a way. Well, I guess that's not fair. It's a black religion. But um, when we think about African-American populations in the United States or Native populations, Christianity is being imported or given to them through whites. So we associate Christianity with whites. but. Actually, what Wavoka is doing here with the syncretic native slash Christian religion is he's encouraging native people to return to native things, to native ways, to native practices, and to turn away from white practices, beginning with the white man's food and metal. You see? Yeah. He told them to do as the white man asked because they would not have to for long. So culturally, they're turning back to native ways, but he, he doesn't want to instigate conflict with the whites particularly the soldiers. Uh, Wovoka showed them. Yeah. 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 Wovoka showed them a vision of a village and then Wovoka sort of appeared in that vision. So imagine you're looking out and and you suddenly see this sort of like dream like hallucination and the guy's showing it to you and then he's in it. Wow. Yeah. Pretty cool. Then he asked them to close their eyes and he and the village slowly disappeared. So he sort of vanished this way. He walked into the dream, and then the dream faded away. When he descended from the hill, Short Bull was unsure of what he saw. I mean, for good reason. That's wild stuff. And he asked the the others who had joined him, but as it turns out, everyone had seen the same thing, and they all agreed that they should join in this dance.
0: It's pretty amazing that... uh. To have that many people, you know, on board with you, like, like wow.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's interesting, right? It's a paranormal event that all of these people would witness the same thing independently. And they're critical of it. It's not like, you know, they're inclined to it. He's asking, he's like, this. I, I can't believe I saw
0: this. Did you guys see this? And everyone's saying, yes, we saw this thing. That wasn't even the thing that they're they're trying to learn. So like they're impressed, I guess, at this point. They're they're ready to learn the dance.
1: Yeah, I think Wavoka was an impressive person. They like what he had to say. Delegates told of seeing long dead relatives, and that having eaten only the parts of the buffalo they felled that the Messiah as the Messiah had advised, the buffalo came back to life again. So they learned these interesting tricks. So they could eat a piece of the buffalo and then they could revive the buffalo. And they could also talk to their long-dead relatives. There's sort of a bit of spiritualism mixed in here, and American spiritualism is absolutely a thing at this time period, the 1870s and 1880s. It's popular. So they're talking to the dead, and they're interacting with the buffalo this way. Wovoka also shortened their way home. After making camp in the evening, they found themselves closer to home when they woke up in the morning, so they sort of moved in the night.
0: He is so efficient.
1: (laughs) Yes. life (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> He's a man of great travel. Mm-hmm. When good thunder and the delegation returned, they said they had seen the son of God with holes in his body. So that's how they described Wavoka. So maybe that's what they meant by the signs of the crucifixion. Right. Our yeah. uh, stigmata almost. Stigmata. Maybe not bleeding though. Uh, although these things were not part of the accounts they had initially given of their experience, that these became part of how they described it. This figure... Wovoka, talked abstractly about Jesus' return, but did not necessarily identify himself as Jesus. So I guess I misspoke a little bit there. He is, he sort of is speaking as Jesus, but he's also
0: not Jesus. A
1: bit confusing, I but guess.
0: people could still see him as the second coming of Jesus. Yeah. Right.
1: He, yeah, yeah. he I think he was open to that de- designation. I speak a little bit at a turn here, but he was also differentiating himself from the historical Jesus in some ways. So, a little bit a little bit tricky metaphysics there. Ultimately, they subsumed this Messiah under their Lakota Great Spirit as one of his aspects. So the Lakota people said, "Oh, I, so he is a Messiah, but you know what? He's an emanation of our Great Spirit." Hmm. Sort of like Vishnu. Although elements of the Christian narrative lingered in this new tale of the Great Spirit's return or I guess manifestation. The Lakota talked about the Messiah helping to punish the whites, although this was not in his initial message. So the Lakota now take this in a new direction. What said, remember, listen to the whites, don't start conflict with them, they're going to get theirs, God's going to take care of us, but the Lakota, they're like, so what you mean is, uh, we should start trouble with the whites. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Ovoca had talked about coexisting with the whites until a new order could be established protecting the Indians. Changes through translations were inevitable because these tribes did not share a common language except for a sign language and also English. So it's possible it was a question of of mistranslation. But further changes would follow because the Lakota did not have a formalized theology. Rather, they allowed for a variety of individual perspectives on their own religious doctrines. So they had a tradition of interpreting a a personal interpretation they're not getting it all from a single pope-like figure right 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 on the pine ridge and rosebud reservations leaders of the new ghost dance religion were arrested for distracting their fellow lakota from their farm work so now we got a ghost dance thing going on and the united states federal forces are not thrilled with it so they promised to give up organizing large public gatherings. So They arrest the leaders and they're like, you know what, we just, we won't have dances anymore, you guys. And the government says, okay, you promise? A drought led to widespread crop failure among American Indians who, unlike white settlers, were unable to abandon their farms and had only just been compelled into farming by whites very recently. So, you know, native crop cultivation was not practiced in the way that white settlers did it. Is sort of the point here, and they're also being told which land to farm. All of this is contributing to basically uh, conditions for famine. To make matters worse, the U.S. Congress cut appropriations, and leaders feared widespread starvation through the winter. Broken promises about building new schools would further frustrate the Indians and grow the ranks of the Ghost Dancers. Man, so we want to think about you know Wovoka's we'll kind of this little spark over in Nevada, and the Lakota come and see him, and then they bring back these stories, and a couple of them get this ghost dance going based on the inspiration they received from Avoca. And as the government's treatment of Native people worsens their conditions, more Indians living on that reservation are making up their mind, or these two reservations, I should say, are making up their mind to leave the general population, and join the ghost dancers. So what was one, two, three people is becoming four, five, six, and bigger and bigger. Right. It's it's a protest movement now. Short Bull and Kicking Bear began preaching the ghost dance religion in earnest, and by August 1890, thousands were dancing at a camp separated from the reservation's farms. At White Clay Creek, people began to fall into trance and return with stories of a wonderful spirit journey. Efforts by the government agents to break the power of the chiefs and disrupt the Lakota's traditional ways were in turn disrupted at the camps where they returned to their traditions and to their chiefs. So the ghost dance, you know, was sort of baked in at the beginning where Boca was making these comments about not following the white man's culture. While the United States government is trying to break them away from their traditional ways, the ghost dance is encouraging them back
0: into their traditional ways. Right, it's kind of like a thing that they can do that. Uh, that's gonna stay the same. <laughs> that, that they can't touch because it's the, not. They, they don't see, right?
1: Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess that's right. It's an interacting with an interaction with spirits. Is that what you mean?
0: Yeah. Well, I just meant like that. It's not the whole population doing it. It's just a uh, yeah, yeah. ghost dancer. So it's not as it's not like the government is because they're they're. I'm, I'm guessing that the the ghost dancers are hiding that from their fellow Indian compatriots as well,
1: maybe? Uh, Well, I mean, the recruiting, but yeah, they're definitely, this is happening at a, at a separation from the reservation. So they're physically sort of out of sight too. That makes sense. Okay. The Lakota believed in the Huakathaka, the Great Spirit or Great Mystery, a spirit force that pervaded both the physical and non-physical worlds. The Great Spirit had 16 forms organized into four sets of four along a hierarchy. The numbers four and seven were significant to the Lakota, and all of their rituals and beliefs involved them. There were four cardinal directions, four seasons, four stages of a man's life, and seven council fires of the Sioux Nation. The four sets or categories were the sun, the earth, rock, and spirit. Humans themselves had four spirits, the nagi, which could return to the world of the living after death, the naya or life breath, the nakila or little ghost, and the siku or personal power. There were four classes of holy men. The highest of these were mediators between the living and the dead who lead religious ceremonies and were also capable of healing not only through the spirits, but through their own power. Short bull and black elk and sitting bull were all holy or medicine men. Black elk, uh, most famous for uh, his memoir, Black Elk Speaks. Have you read that, James? Are you familiar with that? Yeah, Black Elk Speaks. I recommend it. Um, It sort of reflects on all of these... moments um of uh, in at this time period uh, with these sort of heroes of the lakota nation with sitting bull and short bull and,
0: and these folks like the eight, late 1800s
1: yeah 1870s 1880s the, the, this sort of like uh, capstone moment of of the um driving off of native people and uh yeah they're they're yeah anyway <laughs> this this dark moment of history i guess But it celebrates native tradition, too, Black Elk's book, so it's sort of going both ways. The sacred pipe, or buffalo calf pipe, was the most significant symbol and was so sacred that a man's guilt or innocence could be determined by whether or not he smoked the pipe. A guilty man would never dare to smoke the buffalo calf pipe.
0: How about that? You don't do it. You
1: must be guilty, yeah. Exactly. Like, uh, you know, a murder mystery, like the one who doesn't drink the the cup, you know, he's the one that poisoned it, right? Right, of course. Uh, But the belief in the spiritual power of the buffalo calf pipe would sort of be like that. You wouldn't want to touch it if you were guilty. Sweat lodges were used for purification of body and mind and strengthening of spirit. Lakota also practiced ghost keeping, uh, which is to say keeping the soul of a recently departed community member close, often by erecting a lodge to sort of house them in. So they had a tradition of closeness with the dead outside of the ghost dance. Lakota saw...
0: Yeah, go ahead. It seemed like they had like like an ongoing relationship with the dead.
1: Yeah, yeah. As we all should, I think, in a way, but um, many of us, particularly in modern times, lose sight of that. Lakota sought direction through visions interpreted by medicine men. A strong enough vision could lead to a Lakota becoming a medicine or holy man. The annual sun dance conducted during the summer in tandem with the buffalo hunt involved pledgers piercing their backs with a stick and then connecting the stick to a rawhide thong which was tied to a sacred tree. They danced until their skin tore liberating them yeah rough intense spiritual devotion uh these are intense people i
0: guess is the moral of that uh very intense i feel like you'd have to dance through the pain or i guess you don't feel the pain if you're in a trance maybe i don't know i can not sort of yeah like.
1: like uh whirling dervishes or something maybe where you you don't feel it
0: because of the trance state I was getting some, some of those vibes earlier when you were talking about the dance and how they were closing their eyes and they weren't eating the, the food before. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That I was like, ooh. Mm-hmm.
1: The dance was meant to maintain unity between earth, sun, and sky and to make sure the buffalo never disappeared. There were seven songs in the Sundance sung four times. The dance took place in the circle, which was also sacred. Lakota camps were also arranged in a circle. So the dance is in a circle and the camp around the dance is in a circle. The dance was banned by the government in 1883 in an effort to Christianize the Lakota. The absence of the Sundance may have spurred interest in the ghost dance. So again, uh, the actions of the U.S. government are prodding and spurring and fanning the flames of the
0: ghost dance. That's really, I mean, that's really a shame. I feel like the government should feel bad about itself when it outlaws a dance. (laughs) Well... I mean, historically, I think that it was more than that. But like, you know, yeah, look at yourselves.
1: <laughs> the, there, there has been James a fear of dance and music and performance throughout history. When uh, the Spanish arrived in Cuba and Puerto Rico, the first thing they did was ban the dancing of the native people, the areto. Uh So it, we just we worry about performance we worry about theater we worry about dance we worry about ways people gather and ritualize we're scared of it
0: well i think it's great
1: (laughs) it's powerful i mean yeah i think that's the lesson it is great it's It's powerful
0: it has the power to sway people and move people and i guess that's and that's yeah
1: so that's yeah that's why the oppressor always is anti-performance in in a way or the performance of the native person because it can be a source for for power, as it was with a ghost dance. So the ghost dance involved uh, moving in a circle uh, with hands joined. Let's get into the ritual itself. The Paiute called it dance in a circle. The Shoshone called it everybody dragging, and the Comanche called it the father's dance, or the dance with joined hands. The Sioux and Arapaho called it simply the ghost dance. Lakota dancers fasted, and medicine men blessed the ground for the dance. There were sweat lodges, but these were altered for the new ritual. Men and women often gathered together in larger lodges. The pipe was smoked, and during the ceremony, a woman, symbolizing the buffalo calf woman from whom the pipe was to come, stood in the center of the circle, holding the pipe and pointing it westward, which is the direction the Messiah had come from. Hmm. They passed a vessel filled with beef, symbolizing the buffalo, and a woman shot arrows in the four cardinal directions. So this is all sort of preparation getting us ready for the ghost dance proper. The arrows were collected and then hung on a sacred tree. The lead singer and lead dancers then gathered in the center. During the first song, the dancers stretched their hands to the west, the direction from which the Messiah came and to which the buffalo calf woman had departed mythologically. After the song, they cried, joined hands, and began dancing and singing the next song, moving in a circle from left to right. The lead singer and dancer grew increasingly intense in their song, and the dancers threw dirt in their hair, crying out the names of lost loved ones, trying to inspire visions. Some leapt into the air, leaving the circle and eventually falling to the ground in trance. The dance ended when enough of the dancers had fallen into trance. Medicine men interpreted the dancers' visions, and the ritual began again for as many as three times. Wow! When the days rich yeah, it's a big night, or big day, I should say. When the day's ritualizing had ended, the dancers shook out their blankets and bathed in water to purify themselves. Big, big event.
0: So I like how they. You said they got in like saunas beforehand, sweat, lodging, yeah, sweat, sweat lodge. Yeah, sweat lodge. Yeah, I think sauna similar idea. when you say that, but
1: <laughs> it's all good. It's a modernization, I guess similar uh, concept and ordinarily those would be gender divided but they created a a sort of gender neutral space before this event and and the crying out to the dead again we have to bear in mind the famine and the the abuse at the hands of the united states government there were a lot of you would have a lot of dead in your life as a survivor in the lakota tribe at this period Uh, so the the wringing of of the hands and and tearing of the hair uh, you're feeling real emotional pain just just from the losses you've endured in your life
0: through this uh, hardship i bet it's uh amazingly cathartic it sounds like
1: i imagine it must have been yeah cathartic and also in a way revolutionary insofar as it stirred up anti-oppressor sentiments and feelings and that gets to some of what they were saying uh when we talk about them going into trance, having visions, and those visions being interpreted, this starts to get to the sort of political impetus of the movement. We'll we'll talk about that in a second. Many Lakota traditions were revived around the ghost dance. The ritual was not an act of directly making war on the whites, but it was a way of reviving American Indian culture, as we've been saying, Mm -hmm. in the face of white efforts to obliterate that culture. But over time, the ghost dance began to change as it was reshaped through dancers' visions and the way those visions were interpreted Medicine men.
2: Wakan Tanka instructed me to return to my people, the Sioux, and say to them that if they would be constant in the dance and pay no attention to the whites, he would shortly come to their aid. If the high priest would make for the dancer's medicine shirts and pray over them, no harm could come to the wearer. That the bullets of any whites that desired to stop the Messiah dance would fall into the ground without doing anyone harm. And the person firing such shots
1: would drop dead. So they make medicine shirts, which uh, they say the bullets of whites cannot penetrate.
0: Really? But, no, Honestly. No.
1: We'll get into it. The medicine shirt does play a role in, in what happens here. So in addition to these medicine shirts, they began to bring guns to the dances to defend their observances, although, as Wovoka had instructed, they did not dance with the guns. So now it's getting to be a little, you know, legitimately revolutionary. Now they have guns in on hand. Sitting Bull himself was not opposed to the dance. He had friends among the missionaries and was open to Christian ideas, but he failed to have a vision in his attempt at the dance. And so he blessed others to enjoy it but did not join in it himself. You see, so he tried it and he really, really didn't he, he didn't have a vision of any kind. So he said, eh, I, I just don't think this is for me, but you know, the rest of you, feel free. Carry on. By October, some Lakotas had relocated to the dance camps, and the churches and schools on the reservations were empty. Roughly a third of the reservation population at Rosebud and Pine Ridge had joined the dances. Tension then rose between government agents and the Lakotas, and the medicine shirts became increasingly important to the Lakotas' practice. The ghost shirts were red, blue, and yellow, and decorated with eagle and crow feathers. They were the ritual dress for the ghost dance, but could also be worn underneath everyday clothes. For his part, Wovoka said he had nothing to do with the shirts, so it didn't come from, from our Western Messiah.
0: Yeah, that doesn't sound like him.
1: No, uh, this is sort of something the Lakota came up with themselves. They may have been inspired by the Mormons. This is interesting. Who had regular contact with the Lakota at the time and had a similar garment in their sacred gown. So the Mormons have this undergarment
0: That's as right. well. I remember talking about that in like a first season episode or two. Season. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> we have mentioned That's the magical Mormon under undergarments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and uh, Mormons are you know, they moved from New York state in 1830 out to Utah. So they're very much in the mix, uh, stretching across that expanse. So they're going to sort of like drop Mormons along the way. Uh, so, so they're very much scattered around the West. The Lakota came to believe that the shirts were bulletproof and would protect them against the white man's aggression. This was part of a larger Lakota tradition in which sacred symbols could, could protect against enemies. Crazy Horse, for example, was thought to be personally bulletproof. Wavoka, Crazy Horse, of course, a uh, uh, legendary uh, native warrior it, at this time period. Wavoka had promised a new world the next spring, but with tensions mounting with government agents at the Lakota Reservations, Short Bull co-opted the Messiah's role and announced that the new world would dawn much sooner. In fact, he said, after the next moon. So, woo, condensing that timeline.
2: I have told you that this much would come to pass in two seasons, but since the Whites are interfering so much, I will advance the time from what my Father above told me to do, so the time will be shorter. Therefore you must not be afraid of everything. Some of my relations have no ears, so I will have them blown away. There will be a tree sprout up, and there all the members of our religion and the tribe must gather together. That will be the place where we will see our dead relations. But before this time, we must dance the balance of this moon, and at the end of which time the earth will shiver very hard. Whenever this thing occurs, I will start the wind to blow. We are the ones who will then see our fathers, mothers, and everybody. We, the tribe of Indians, are the ones who are living a sacred life. God, our father himself, has told and commanded and shown me to do these things.
0: He's like, I can't wait.
1: He's not going to wait. He's not waiting. It's time. The time is now. Strike while the iron's hot. Or rather, well, you know, there's famine. I mean, there's, re- there's good reason to move quickly. People are, are hurting. People are in pain. Provoked by rising excitement, the United States Army arrived on the 20th of November, 1890, and this caused the ghost dancers to retreat and join together camps. There were 1,800 Lakotas and roughly 700 many Konjus who gathered at these camps. Sitting Bull led the dance at Sta- Standing Rock. The arrival of the army frightened Lakota who fled to the ghost dance camps for protection, further swelling their ranks. So again, the army's actions are unintentionally building this movement. Other Lakota, fearful of being treated as hostile by the army, volunteered to help the government, and and they further divided the Lakota. So we also have some Lakota who are siding with the U.S., albeit a minority. The ghost dancers gathered up at a plateau they called the Stronghold, a place that was both easily defensible and fully provisioned to await the coming of the New World. Prophecies from the dancers' various visions began to fall flat, though, most notably when a man wearing a ghost shirt volunteered to be shot at, and the bullet did penetrate into his body. Several groups...
0: Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just saying that's sad. That's a sad story.
1: Yes, yes. Um, Several groups then within the ghost dancers broke ranks and decided to leave the stronghold and return to Pine Ridge and surrender to the army. The army was also putting pressure on Sitting Bull at Standing Rock. And I've sort of assumed so far that uh, everybody knows what Sitting Bull is, is known for. Uh, but at this point, I'd like to do a little brief history of Sitting Bull uh, to, to give us a sense of exactly what Sitting Bull was all about.
0: Do you know about Sitting Bull, James? You know, I was about to say.
1: <laughs> I'd like, like to know a little more about Sitting Bull. I would yeah. love to know more about Sitting Bull. Sitting Bull was a member of the Hunkpapa tribe of the Lakota. At the age of 14, he joined his first mounted war party and bravely confronted a rival warrior, jabbing him with his coup stick. His family had called him Jumping Badger, but he came to be called Slow. So that, that was so he, he had been Jumping Badger as a little guy, but then eventually they just started to call him Slow. Slow. That was his name, uh, because because he. He had a very deliberate and awkward way that he carried himself around. So they just said, ah, jumping badger, that doesn't make sense anymore. Now you're just slow. I like but that <laughs> the 14-year-old's father gave him the name Sitting Bull after the male buffalo who holds his ground. So dad comes through here and he says, he's not slow. My man here." stands his ground. So uh, this is when he jabbed a, a rival with his acoustic. He said, here's a man who stands his ground. He's sitting bull. So a much stronger image. Yes. Yeah. In 1857, he was then named chief of the Hunkpapa. After skirmishing with whites along the Powder River in Wyoming in the 1860s, he refused to sign the Treaty of 1868, limiting the Lakota to western South Dakota and taking away large tracts of hunting land. Other chiefs did sign and the treaty was ratified. As the railroads arrived and gold was discovered, the government violated the treaty, as the United States government often would, breaking apart the Lakota's sacred ground and proving Sitting Bull right in ref- his refusal to sign. I don't want to do this, and I don't want to get too far into this, but, you know, when we think about contemporary circumstances and pipelines and this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, this is, this is a centuries-old problem. That the United States government does not honor the sovereignty of Native people. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get deeper into that. In defiance of the treaty, Sitting Bull set up camp west of the reserved territory, moving to Montana, where there were still buffalo to hunt, and he could observe traditions that the government agents had begun trying to replace. He had a premonition of whites arriving in blue coats as the army under the command of General Alfred Terry marched to force him and his followers back onto the reservations. Now, here's a name that will sound familiar, James. Lieutenant Colonel George Armstrong Custer. Yeah, Custer. Yeah, so it's Custer's last stand is, is actually against Sitting Bull, uh, and a little-known fact about General Custer, he was a veteran of the Battle of Gettysburg. Really? Yeah, uh, he would have been on the right side of history at the Battle of Gettysburg, and then the wrong side of history here in this moment. So Custer attacked Sitting Bull at his camp at the Battle of Little Bighorn, and died in the assault, and lost the battle along with 300 soldiers. The Lakota then dispersed to avoid capture by the army, and Sitting Bull moved his camp to Canada, where he lived until 1881, when the buffalo had been so depleted he could no longer sustain his followers. He surrendered to the United States military and spent two years as a prisoner at Fort Randall, and he spent the summer of 1885 traveling with Buffalo Bill's Wild West show. Isn't that interesting? Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, he was a a performer for a, a little while. But here's here's the neat thing about Sitting Bull. As he was traveling with the Wild West show, he gave most of the money he made selling autographed photos of himself to poor white children who begged along the show's route. Yeah. What a character. What a guy.
0: What a beautiful soul.
1: Intense, right? Mm-hmm. He didn't blame the white children for the actions of the white government. And Yeah. A remarkable remarkable person he returned to standing rock uh, where a violent end still awaited him and that's our brief history of sitting bull and now we'll get into that violent end
0: that was amazing i mean i can't believe that i mean it sucks that he was in jail for two years but it's also amazing that you know after uh, do they normally keep people like that longer
1: well, given all the things, yeah, I, I mean, because of the prisoner of the military, he was sort of a, a, a military prisoner. So the rules are certainly different in those instances, right? Right.
0: I don't know much about that.
1: Prisoner of war, I guess, is sure. what we would call him. Prisoners of war are often released after a, a set period. So I, I guess it's, it, it makes sense. Sitting Bull said he did not personally believe in the ghost dance, but would not stop his people from practicing it. Around this time, he was visited by a bird while on a morning walk, and the bird told him that he would be killed by one of his own people. A lot of supernaturalism sort of around this story. Go ahead, James.
0: It's bad news. Uh,
1: Yeah, yeah. Agents sent Indian police to arrest him. And he initially agreed to go, but as his followers gathered around his cabin, he decided to resist. One of his followers, uh, Catch the Bear, fired at the Indian police, and Sitting Bull was killed by these police in the skirmish that followed. Uh, So by Indian police, I mean uh, Indian folks, Lakota, who were working for the federal government. Oh, I see. So he was killed by one of his own people. He was killed by one of these native police A war between Sitting Bull's followers and the Indian police ensued immediately, during which a Hunkpapa warrior rode to the middle of the skirmish wearing a ghost shirt, and in this case, was unharmed. The news of Sitting Bull's death and the arrival of the refugees from his camp frightened the many led by Chief Bigfoot. And on the 29th of December, the army intercepted a band of minikonju and hunkpapa Lakota on their way to Pine Ridge and forced them to make camp at the uh, infamous Wounded Knee Creek. That should all, does that sound familiar as well, that James?
0: also sounds familiar.
1: Yeah. The men were separated from the women and children, and the army began searching for weapons, which the men refused to surrender on their own. Yellowbird, who was a medicine man, began the ghost dance throwing dust in the air and singing about the power of the ghost shirt. Army soldiers asked him to stop. He refused, but eventually stopped only to pick up the dance again later. The soldiers grabbed hold of a deaf Lakota carrying a gun who may or may not have been Sitting Bull's son. The gun went off and a skirmish erupted. What followed has since been called the massacre at Wounded Knee the soldiers killed women and children as well as men some shouting out revenge for custer so that's what the federal forces were shouting mm. 25 united states government soldiers were killed and between 150 and 250 lakota so 10 times roughly 10 times the number following Wounded Knee, the ghost dancers fled, but their unity was disintegrating in the face of the army's pressure, and at the end of January 1891, a caravan of between 4,000 and 7,000 Lakota returned to Pine Ridge and surrendered to the army. Basically puts an end to our history there. Wovoka and his ghost dance continued underground, though, after the events at Wounded Knee, and the ghost dance was publicly revived at the Wounded Knee Incident in 1973. So we just jumped forward a hundred
0: years. Whoa. <laughs> yes. But is that the same place?
1: <laughs> yes. they. So this is, uh, I mean, the 1970s, 1960s, we think about the civil rights movement. Right. Uh, and we think about sexual liberation. What we don't often think about is that while African Americans... Uh, you know, with Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, Jr. and uh, John Lewis, all those folks were demanding equal rights and protection of the vote. We also had a movement among native people demanding civil rights. And that's what the Wounded Knee incident was was part of that uh, native uprising, that native uprising and to demand civil rights. It was part of the civil rights movement, technically, broadly conceived,
0: of course, yeah, there was there's civil rights applied to all people right?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, So, as part of the American Indian Movement, it's called the American Indian Movement, meaning sort of within the the umbrella of civil rights, a quest for civil rights. 200 Oglala Sioux occupied wounded need to protest the United States' failure to honor past treaties, fair enough, and demand opening up treaty negotiations again. So, basically, the demand is we want to renegotiate our relationship with, with you guys. Right. With the government in particular. Road blockades were established around the occupiers and paramilitary forces with armored vehicles. Paramilitary forces. This is what we brought. This is what the United States brought to confront
0: these people. Sounds like a little much.
1: Right? (laughs) It's United States tradition as well.
0: (laughs) I hope they also brought the guy with the coolest head on his shoulders. You know? (laughs)
1: let's find out uh traded fire with protesters over the course of three months three months until both sides agreed to disarm so yes apparently some were cooler heads were present but it took them three months so it took them a while to cool off wow and the united states government came in to occupy the town in the midst of the conflict lakota men and women danced the ghost dance the ritual was meant to put them in direct contact with the generations who preceded them on the very site where their ancestors had been killed, and where they had danced, the ghost dance. Nearly a hundred years later, the ghost dance persisted, linking the past with the present in hopes of a
0: better future.
1: That's what I have to say about the ghost dance, James.
0: Well... So, are they? Are people still doing it now? I got to imagine if they were doing it in the seventies. It's
1: my understanding that it's an ongoing of facet of native pride. Yeah, yeah, a living history in a way.
0: It's amazing. I was, yeah. I was, I was keeping my ear out for it. I'm like, where, where did it go? But then, yeah, you brought it all the way back up to to modern day.
1: Well, to the seventies, yeah. yeah. And and there certainly have been um, recent protest movements around, again, going back to the pipelines. I would be interested to he- know if the ghost dance was involved in those protests. I actually didn't look into that. My research quit at the 70s where we know that the ghost dance was happening. But it, w- it would be interesting to hear whether or not the, it's being used in this context because the ghost dance, I think, you know, historically is tied up with protest it's certainly spiritual and it's about native culture and tradition but it's also about liberation i mean wovoka from the very first said that god is going to liberate us Uh, so so it has that strong connotation and uh, is very functional i think in a protest environment
0: i agree it sounds yeah strong
1: do you know how to bring us on home james
0: i do not (laughs) <laughs> you
1: have to. You just have to adjourn our, our meeting. Here.
0: I hereby adjourn this meeting of our actors until we get together and do it again.
1: Yeah, that's not bad. That was pretty close. You missed a couple words, but otherwise, not too shabby. Right. Uh, I want to thank our uh, voice boys, uh, Andrew Mims and John Priest, Brandon Walls, Luke Kinnaman, for uh, their help working on this episode on voices and editing. Uh. Joining me at the microphone, we had our captain of the table,
0: James Kaplanjus. Yes, have a great night, everybody.
1: Great night or day or whatever you're having. <laughs> Early morning. Are, do it. We never know. This is a here, James. They could be listening at any time.
0: That's right.
1: Amazing. The power of the internet. Uh, and, and, and do uh, reach out and... Uh, and connect with your native tribe and uh, be generous with people and be loving, right? This is a nice reminder of, of the way history shapes the present uh, and that we are always trying to correct the sins of the past.
0: That's right. Try to leave every place better than you found it.
1: Join us next time when we talk, uh, we go to China uh, for our discussion of Chinese secret societies. Love China.
0: Of course. We're not actually going to China. We're just going there in our... In our research and
1: in- yeah we, we need a visa and stuff you can't afford that. that how many patrons do you think we have
0: <laughs> not enough to go to china. <laughs> I mean, if we uh, of china maybe
1: check us out next time here on a gulp confessions all right
0: good night or goodbye